Well, it's no driving gloves, and we're about a week and a half away from SEMA. And for some reason, one of our hosts loves to run off to Vegas the first weekend of November every year. So Will won't be joining us tonight. One of the, you know, we might get two or three episodes here eventually that all three hosts are on. I'll be looking for some new guest hosts that will kind of fill in. So we can always try to keep this a three-part group in the near future. Again, part part of the changes in the format. Let us know what you're thinking of the interviews and the format. Let us know what you're thinking of the interviews and the format changes and some of the stuff that we're doing, bringing in some live people every now and then. It's not going to be a weekly occurrence. We do have Derek sitting here on the other end of the microphone. How are you doing tonight, Derek? I am doing great, John. Uh, you know, but the, the, the funny thing is Will always disappears this time of year, but everybody I know that goes to SEMA says they never see him. So what is he actually doing out in Vegas? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I guess, yeah. I'm joking. I know Will's busy with uh, prepping all of his cars that he's taken out there to to do those, uh, you know, special unveils and different things he's doing with those. Glad to be here tonight. I'm doing pretty good over here on my end of the microphone. He did a uh, announcement in the within the last week or so. Teamed up with Scotty D. Going to build Scotty D. and his YouTube channel a new truck. So that project's on on the uh, forefront. And if you don't follow Will's Big Oak Garage Facebook page, you know we're talking about him getting ready to go to SEMA. He just had a windshield, I think, delivered yesterday, and we're recording on the 24th, so he had it delivered on the 23rd, and I think he takes off on Friday, the 25th or 26th. They just, you know, they got just, just got the windshield, so they're finishing up the truck today, so that... You know, he, he's working. Unfortunately, we all have day jobs. The podcast millions haven't rolled in quite yet, but feel free to look us up on Patreon and just throw some money our way if you... I thought you, you were just pocketing it all. I kind of am. I just did a funds transfer, oh. but... You know, something I gotta pay. I gotta pay for these this new equipment and board and my multi multiple cars. You know, as you were saying to Andy Pilgrim, I buy a new car every month. <laughs> so yes, yeah, very true. And I do hope everybody liked the edited version, as Derek said in the interview there, and as we've alluded to in the past. All of the hosts here at No Driving Gloves take driver education very seriously. You know, we all do have fun, and I think we all speed a little bit. At least I do, and. I'm guilty of probably one or two other traffic infractions, just one or two. That part resonated with Andy and discussing his foundation and teen driver safety. So we edited that down into, instead of being the hour and a half episode, to about a 35-minute episode, just focused on that. So you can share it with your friends that might not be car people, but have kids or going to have kids or to grandparents or just to get it out there and let people know that not only is Andy's foundation there, a lot of Andy's stuff is available for parents and for the teens. It doesn't have to go through the schools. You you can do some of this stuff in teaching and learning on your own. And some of the statistics really did resonate with me. And I think all three of us hosts did feel that that needed to kind of be its own episode to try, you know, try to get it beyond just the listeners, our regular listeners of No Driving Gloves. So now that I've went all academic like we usually do, anything exciting happening on your end, Derek? Or are we going to just jump right into this topic for the for the evening? I, I can't think of anything interesting happening over here, John. You know, I've been uh, 
uh, hoping to, to work on the cars and I, I get to poke around on them a little bit every now and then, but still have a few house projects going on here and there. Of course, you know, having moved fairly recently, you always got to keep freshening up the, the new house. So yeah, not, not a lot of exciting car stuff. Yeah. My exciting years kind of wrapped up and I've fallen into a status quo. And as far as work, I finished up the Paul Newman Lotus X180R actually kind of wrapped it up today, late afternoon, pushed it out, should go on display in the next couple of days unless we decide to, you know, spit polish just, any, you know, one or two other little things. There's, you know, no projects ever done. This project, I think, is as complete as it needs to be. And my uh, Lotus 55 Lotus Mark 10 Targa Floria just got back from the paint shop. Suspension components are all painted and everything, and that car is ready to begin reassembly with really a goal of having it done right about Christmas of this year. It's a really aggressive build for us at, at the museum. Normally, we, we have a very lax timeline, but our benefactor would really like to see two car, these two cars com, or two cars completed, the Lotus Mark 10, like I said, that just got back from paint yesterday, and we have two members of staff actually up at the panel shop in uh, Connecticut picking up a Lotus 11 from them, and they just did a lot of body work and paint work. And really both of these cars, a Mark 10 and the 11, are in the same state. Frames painted, bodies on them, bodies painted, chassis, or suspensions all disassembled, laying on our benches, ready to bolt on, and that car should hit the shop probably Friday mid-morning. And they'll be back Friday morning with it, and it'll get unloaded. And I think next week it's going to be, you know, I guess you want to say wrenches to the wall, trying to get these things to get done by Christmas. Don't know if we'll make it, but I, th I think a properly managed restoration at that stage, and most of the parts are done and ready to go. And in hand, we've got a good chance. We'll keep you updated and maybe throw some pictures your way. I rarely throw pictures of the day job out there, but these are two really cool cars. Like I said, one was a Targa Floria car, and if you want to hit your Google and look up Road and Track Lotus 11 1957, it's the cover car from the March 1957 uh, edition of uh, Road and Track. There's kind of my activity. Believe it or not, I'm actually doing work at work. I'm surprised do I know at least my co-hosts. Yes, yes. I've been looking for a topic and. I get accused a lot. Derek and I kind of get a little bit more academic, and we need to have Will around for a little bit more levity to the episodes. But we don't have Will, and we're going to really dive into a, a topic. It was something that was written by uh, Daniel Stroll for Hemmings in late August, and it's a question that kind of resounded to me, and it kind of ties in with present day and really automotive history and companies over the years. You know, being flat honest, this topic came from Hemmings. It came from his article. And Derek and I are going to look at it from our points of view and kind of analyze it. Uh, some of Derek's history ties really close to this article. The article is, would Ford the automaker have survived without Ford the man? And I think simply put, would the Ford Motor Company as we know it today and its progress of, quote, not selling cars anymore, even though they've going to sell the Mustang, the Fiesta STs, and Ford GTs, at least for the foreseeable future. 
which are three cars out of a line of a five. But, no, but uh, those are those are performance cars. They're not just cars. Well, they're still cars. Would that automaker be able to be making these decisions and be around if Henry Ford would have been ousted, if Henry Ford would have thrown in the towel, if Henry Ford wouldn't have been the man he was, good or bad, whether you think of him as a tyrant or a wonderful business leader or a combination of both, you know, just a greedy industrialist. You know, I th- I'm going to say, since I've put those, said those words, I think he's really, was a combination of all of them. And I think a lot of people will, after 60 some episodes of No Driving Gloves, know I'm probably a Gordon Gecko fan from the first movie and Greed is Good. Where do we want to go, Derek? I know you're much more versed on this topic and I'll interject and hopefully throw some intelligent commentary to our, our dialogue tonight and not just be my long-winded fool. No, I figured you were just going to sit back and drink your Mountain Dew and eat potato chips. I don't have potato chips. Yeah, bummer. So I'm just I'm just drinking Mountain Dew. It's kind of like kicking ass and taking names, and I'm all out of names. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, um, you know, it, it, it's a hard question to answer, obviously. I mean, we can hypothesize all we want. I think my answer to that question is yes and no. Uh, yes, the company would survive. No, maybe the company wouldn't have survived. I know that's the probably the, the cheap and easy way out, but I can try to explain myself a little bit. And as, as Dan says, and I, John, I don't know, I, I think we should clarify as well. I mean, I know Dan, you know, I've, I've done interviews with Dan. I've talked to Dan over the years. I'm sure you probably have run into him at places. So it's not like we, we don't know Dan. We don't know his writing. We don't know him personally as a car guy trying to bash Dan or, or pick apart his articles. But what he throws out is usually an article to make you think and make you have these uh, discussions. And it's kind of one of the things that I, I find interesting about Dan is he doesn't always just write an article to prove a point, but rather to uh, make you think. I would say I hope our conversation really focuses more on the actual question and title of his article than necessarily his article, because he gets into Fisker and Tesla and things like that. And while it can relate, I think I really want to know the answer to this question. Do we theorize could could afford and what what are our scenarios there? And in no means do I mean to pick apart this article like we do do a lot in the, a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's all I was I was trying to say is you know, we're not we're not trying to get on Dan here. We we actually find it interesting that he wrote the article. So to talk about some of the especially some of the points he did, you know, if you really look back at Henry's career, things he Ford Motor Company was the third company that that Henry actually was involved in. And you know, the Detroit Automobile Company at first, which built very few vehicles that we we know of. Uh, none seem to exist other than the um, one of the the race cars he built during his time there, which is believed to consist of the front axle and a few components of a Detroit Automobile Company vehicle, but completely custom built beyond that. And then the second company, which he was involved in, the Henry Ford Company, 
uh, of course, named after him. He was kind of chief engineer, if you will, of the company and was in charge of designing the cars and, and producing the cars. But during his time at that company, he was more focused on his racing career, believing that racing would bring attention and money to the company. Of course, he was very successful in de defeating Alexander Winton in 1901 while he was doing the Detroit Automobile Company and, and running sweepstakes. At the Henry Ford Company, this is the time in which Henry Ford is building uh, the 999 and Arrow race cars. And he doesn't focus very much on designing and building the production cars, which, of course, upsets the stockholders. Basically, we'll call it a mutual agreement between Henry Ford and the stockholders uh, that he would leave the company. Having already designed a chassis and body, he would move on and do something else. And then the Henry Ford company thought about dissolving the company, but they got connected with none other than a gentleman named Henry Leland, who conveniently, or at least you know, uh, conveniently for the stockholders of the Henry Ford company, had an engine design that he was willing to bring with him to the company, put in the car that was already designed by Henry Ford, and get them a production car on the street. Uh, but of course, Henry Leland did not feel that the company should be renamed, uh, remain named the Henry Ford Company, seeing Henry Ford was no longer in it. He proposed the name Cadillac, of course, named after the French explorer that explored Michigan and the Detroit area, Monroe area of Michigan. Uh, you know, essentially that company became what we know as Cadillac. Uh, basically today. In that case, a company did survive without Henry Ford. In that initial step, can could a company that Henry Ford was leading survive without him? Yes, it did. It took another brilliant automotive pioneer to come in and run it. It did survive without him. He, and he, of course, went on and got involved with uh, Malcolmson, founded the Ford Malcolmson Company, which would become Ford Motor Company, um, that we know today. So I think in that initial step, before I jump into Ford Motor Company, John, you know, my answer in that situation would be that yes, a company could survive without Henry Ford. You know, it kind of is interesting, and I think a lot of people don't realize that Henry Ford actually had two companies prior to what we know today as the Ford Motor Company, and as you you very well explained and the history of the, each of those companies and how they went and where Ford's money came from. You know, a lot of the story behind the Ford Motor Company is Ford, and I believe it was with sweepstakes, won a race, and that provided him the funding for starting Ford, and everybody forgets about his early partner. Everybody forgets well, about— Well, that was actually— that was actually the Henry Ford company okay. that he started with the, the funds from sweepstakes. You know, he got involved with the Henry Ford company. But, you know, and that's where all that history gets confused is you forget that he had a partner when the Ford Motor Company started. You forget that he was basically, I guess, not ousted, but a mutual agreement with him and the board. And I'll say I've had some mutual agreements with employers, too. And while I wasn't fired, I didn't necessarily quit, if you know what I mean. So I think we've we've all kind of sort of been there. You know, I think Ford was, you know, he was a passionate automotive person and he was an engineer and he enjoyed 
he enjoyed the car and maybe he didn't quite have a little bit of that business savvy and Henry Leland stepping in and creating Cadillac and dropping the Ford name. And I think it was probably also clear that Ford was probably going to go on. I think it was August of 02. Leland came in and renamed the company and Ford started Ford in February or March of 03. So there was probably some rumblings that Ford was coming coming away with that. And I believe the reports are when he left the company, he left with $900 cash and the rights to his name. So there there might even have been some, some of that lawyer legalese back in even the 1900s. You know, <laughs> lawyers seem to have been around for a really, really long time. Oh, yes, yes. And oddly or, or funny that you would mention that because uh, when talking about Henry's Ford Motor Company days, there's some lawyers and legal things that get involved in that that I think play into this discussion as well. Love to see where we're going to go with that. I'll just, you know, do the little quip that I'm sure everybody's thinking is, damn, a lawyer's out, uh, involved? Of course. <laughs> so, John, as you explained, Ford leaves. He's got some money. He's got the rights to his name. Gets hooked up with uh, Malcolmson for a while, gets another company going, eventually, you know, names it Ford Motor Company. He also took with him from the Detroit Automobile Company his chassis and body design that he came up with there. And hence the reason, which I know I've mentioned on the show before, a 1903 Cadillac and a 1903 Ford Model A are almost impossible to distinguish from a, a distance until you get up close enough to either see the name on the car or lift the floorboards and see the engine underneath and realize which design it is, which is either Dodge Brothers or the Henry Leland designed engine. You know, getting into 1903 with the Model A, you know, Henry goes into uh, with the Ford uh, Motor Company, basically a, a situation he had been in at uh, the Henry Ford Company, which is time he is basically running a company that has stockholders he has a board he has things he has to deal with and he's still attempting to henry's goal was always to build a more affordable car for the common man so that is his real um, goal here you know that is what he is trying to figure out and trying to do building some of the cars he builds and yes, he, he kind of plays around with some different designs of engines, body styles, configurations. I mean, as you know, early as 1904, 1905, even though he's still building the, you know, essentially mid-engine, uh, mid-mounted engine, uh, Model A, Model C style cars, he's also already experimented with and, and produced a, a front engine inline four-cylinder known as the Model B. So he's definitely trying to figure things out. Working through this, of course, you have to deal with suppliers, you know, components and materials that you need. And Henry eventually builds this, I don't want to say disdain, but he doesn't always get along with his suppliers. Feels that things could be done differently, feels that things could be done better. It really doesn't make a lot of friends necessarily in the supplier market, especially the Dodge brothers. A lot of his suppliers feel like he's 
keeping too much of the profit uh, that the the company is making, not paying them enough, various various things, and this is leading up to not a good situation in Ford Motor Company history. But kind of during all of this, one of the interesting things I think happens at Ford Motor Company is you know Henry's kind of continuing passion pushing him forward in designing the car the way that he hopes it will be designed no matter what his board thinks, no matter what his suppliers think. That kind of drives all of this that's going on. Eventually, he winds up in some major battles um, with his um, manufacturers and or his suppliers and various people. And... Let me interrupt there and say, because I've got a couple of dates pulled up in front of me to let you know how quickly all of this happened. And ah, you know, yeah, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, we, we, we're talking, you know, in Mar- March 02, Ford was ousted from, we'll call it Cadillac, so that we, we can kind of keep it a little bit clearer as we go on. He almost immediately partnered up with Malcolmson and started developing the Ford Malcolmson, and they designed a car together. But this is by February 03. They had spent way more money than they expected. And really, the creditors and the suppliers they're starting to upset are John and Horace Dodge. You know, it's kind of funny when you really look at Ford and how many outside companies you know, can kind of thank Ford. I mean, Dodge was in, they were engineers for him. Later on, you'll find out that Louis Chevrolet built performance parts for Model Ts and 20 years on. You know, Malcolmson ended up, I think he was maybe a little bit more of the business side because he he had run a coal business. He had wealthy relatives that he didn't necessarily take money from them, but he got them to invest so that he could sell their name, that they're investing. And he manipulated everything. So by June June of 2003, Ford Motor Company was actually incorporated, and they had 12 investors with 1,000 shares of stock, and it goes on, you know, Ford and Malcolmson kept about 51% of the company, and the rest was divided up with the other 10, which also included... Horace Dodge and uh, John Dodge each taking 50 shares in lieu of the payment for all the work they had done to help Ford develop. I mean, we're talking in less than a year, Ford has went from being bought out and $900 was a substantial amount of money and Malcolmson's money invested and they've blown through it all trying to create the company and getting it going. So I just wanted to allude there that what we've talked about this isn't years. This is literally a matter of five and six months that all of this happened. Things happen fast. You think things happen fast today in the day with the internet and stuff. Imagine this 115 years ago with no telephone, with, you know, tele, you know everything. The telegram was the best and the fastest communication that could happen. It just, it just to me that that's one of the marvels of this whole thing is how quickly things really did happen. It wasn't, you know, what we always picture the early 1900s and cowboys and Indians and things. Hopefully, I didn't sidetrack you too far there, Derek. No, no, that was exactly where I was headed. Was you know the the division and 
and you know Henry Ford basically upsetting all these people to a point where they no longer get involved with the company. And going on with, like I said, how amazing to me and how quickly things happened. I'm going to kind of jump and I'm going to pull away, you know, pull away a little bit from Derek, and we're going to go back because Derek's going to cover a couple of years here, also really fast and some key points. But at this point, Gray, investor named Gray, who was Malcolmson's uncle and the the big selling name that uh, Malcolmson used to get all these other investors, did not believe in this investment. He he really didn't want to invest in the car the 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 company. And but Gray at the first shareholder meeting, June eighteenth, nineteen oh three, the corp keep in mind, company was incorporated June sixteenth, first shareholder meeting June eighteenth. Gray was elected president and Ford was almost immediately profitable. He had a good product. He just needed the funding to bring it to market. And by October first of oh three Ford had a profit of $37,000 and immediately paid out a 10% dividend to everybody in October. $3,700 all of a sudden, again, was split among 12 people. And not a lot of money, but still, uh, quick math in my head, $300 a person. Not, not, not a bad dividend. And then, amazingly, the beginning of 04, they threw out another 20% dividend. And then June of 04, 68%. And then two dividends of uh, of 100, 100% each in June and July of 05. It made the investors, according to my research, shows almost a 300% profit or, or 300% dividends in just two years. And the 05 total profits were almost $300,000, and they paid out a major chunk of that. These people that were a little bit hesitant, all of a sudden, you know, Ford's ousted in 02, early 02 from his second company, his first company having failed a few years before. And by the end of 05, not even three years later, has a company that's making $300,000 in 1905. $300,000, I should have done an inflation calculator here. Uh, that's serious money. That is... $8.6 million in 1918. So it's pretty, you know, a pretty substantial amount of money for a guy that was broke three years ago with $900 to it, you know, $900 to his name. Not everything went smooth for Ford and it was a little bit rocky. And so we're going to jump back and I'm going to turn the mic back over to Derek and let him go with his train of thought there. You know, obviously the financial end of things is is one thing but henry's drive to make an automobile as i was saying you know towards that uh, automobile that was for the the masses for the common man another step in the idea of would ford have survived without the man henry ford has to be to look at the what was known as the Selden patent, which was the George Selden had achieved filing for and, and receiving a patent on a self-propelled vehicle here in the United States. Although there's, it's a very long story, um, one that 
Henry Ford did not necessarily agree with. He actually applied, basically at the time, to build an automobile, you had to get a license from the Association of Licensed Automobile Manufacturers. So you had to have this Selden patent plate that was assigned to you by the ALAM in order to be considered an official official automobile manufacturer in the United States. And basically, you had to pay royalties to George Selden for the Selden patent. The Selden patent was not a very valid patent. Henry Ford did not. He had mixed feelings about it, and his feelings only turned worse when he applied for a license from the ALAM and was denied that that license. He, along with four other manufacturers, decided that they didn't agree the patent should be upheld, so they would take the ALAM and, and George Selden essentially to court. Well, they took him to court and basically claimed that his patent was not a, a viable patent and they should not have to pay these license fees just to be able to make an automobile in the United States. And Henry fought it uh, basically tooth and nail. It took him eight years of fighting in court to achieve his goal. And during that time, yeah, the Model T Ford would come out in uh, 1909. This court case would not end until 1911. Henry was actually known to to basically tell his customers that if there was ever any fees associated with what was happening and the fact that the cars were produced without this license, if he lost the court battle he would basically pay any costs incurred because of that to any customer. And initially he did lose the court case, but they appealed. And the, uh, the appellate judge actually listened to reasoning that Henry Ford brought forth in the case or the lawyers, as I said, lawyers would play a big, big role in this in the future, essentially uh, awarded Henry Ford his victory. And it all circled around the fact really that number one, Selden merely patented a drawing. He never actually built a car that he patented. He did eventually go on to have a car company that would build cars under his name. The other problem with his patent was that it used um, what is known as a a Brayton cycle engine, um, which is a very unique engine design and Henry fought this case basically on the fact that his car and the other manufacturers' cars were different enough because of the fact that they used the auto cycle engine or a four-stroke engine. And that's what won him the case. And I think this is a, a situation where, you know, I, I said with, with the Henry Ford company, the first company that would become Cadillac, the company could have survived or did survive without Henry. I think the Selden patent battle and that Selden patent case, I don't think Ford would have survived without Henry Ford being there, fighting that tooth and nail, appealing the decision, you know, the the first decision and winning that second decision in 1911, because had he lost that case and just given up or had he not been there to keep fighting 
and Ford Motor Company got hit with the penalties, it it would have basically closed the company. So I think that is a case where Henry Ford was instrumental in making sure the company survived and that the Selden patent was found to essentially be, and what the ALAM was doing was found to be illegal. Yes, I'll interject there. Not only did his battles to overturn the Selden patent help him immensely, it, I think, freed up a lot of the automotive world and industry for everybody. Uh, That was integral not only for his survival, but I think it was integral into bringing the automobile into everyone's home and what his dream was, but it allowed the other manufacturers to, you know, participate and not have to, quote, pay those fee- those patent fees to Selden. Agreed. You know, after this this victory in 1911, uh, you know, things are, are going well for Ford Motor Company. Uh, you know, they're, they're building the Model T. Uh, they're, they're figuring out the assembly line, doing all these things. And Henry is getting more and more interested in controlling the company outright in his own ideas, you know, having his own ideas about the way things should run. You know, he makes an interesting step right around 1918, which is actually a a very devious step, if you will. He removes himself from the company. He, He leaves Ford Motor Company, but all it is is a maneuver to buy out the remaining stockholders um, get complete control of the uh, Ford Motor Company into the Ford family hands, and then basically come back on board as the sole proprietor of Ford Motor Company and able to run it the way he feels it is going to be best run and operated to build the car that Henry Ford wants to build, which is the Model T. Because in Henry Ford's mind, at this time, the Model T is the best car that's ever been built, and it is the best car that ever will be built. You know, he's got the assembly line going. He's building, you know, the hundreds of thousands of these cars. I mean, he's just, he is on a roll. He has made the company what it is, and he is going to run it the way he feels it should be run. So this is one of those steps where, you know, Henry Ford leaves the company, and yes, it continues to run, but he's still essentially kind of has his hands in it until he gets complete control and comes back um, and runs it. But that belief, I I think that step there, John, is uh, very... You know, there is some foreshadowing there if you're looking back at the history of Ford Motor Company, because that move actually, although somewhat brilliant on Ford's part to take over the company, is very detrimental in the future because Henry is such somewhat a single minded man in the case of the Model T. We'll go back a little bit and it's a reoccurring theme in history, and especially with the Ford Motor Company. And as I've said, Ford will go created Cadillac. Ford created Ford. Ford had Dodge working for him. Ford had, you know, Louis Chevrolet building performance parts in the aftermarket, you know, kind of think Edelbrock of the day. 
And here we are, 1916. Ford has a cap, you know, $60 million in the bank. And some of these shareholders from years before want to get paid. And the largest shareholders in the Ford Motor Company at that time are John and Horace Dodge. Surprise. And they want a check. Ford wants to invest the money uh, into capital investments and build new plants and expand the company. And John and Horace Dodge want a little bit of cash. And that's kind of where Ford started this thing. For you know, the Dodge brothers ended up suing Ford, forced a special dividend to be paid to them, and it was, I think, serious money. I want to say close to twenty million dollars. And in response, that's what set Henry Ford off, and he he quit. He re, he threatened to resign from the company, and he when he did, he started a rival company offering to buy out any minority shareholders in Ford, and that's what he did is. You know, between 1916 and 1919 and him resigning in 1918, I think by mid-1919, he had bought everybody back out, cost him $100 million or something, but he had full control of his company again. And then he joined back in. The Dodge brothers, I think, netted another 20 or so million dollars at that time. And, you know, while we're looking 1919 or here, just a couple of years later, all of a sudden Dodge comes into existence. So now Ford has probably provided the capital to create Dodge, at least in my theory. Derek might disagree, and we don't want to get too far off track. But I just want to keep touching back that while Ford's making Ford survive, he's helping, in my opinion, expand the auto industry because... Each of these companies then get their own way of thinking because as Derek's going to go on here and what he was alluding to, Ford is a very focused man and a, you know, probably the originator. And there's no T-shirt sold with it on there, That's but it's my way or the highway, Henry Ford. And he kind of gets a little bit direct and gets a little bit into that monopoly thing and for the good or bad of the company over the next decade or so, but... I just wanted to touch on those last few years, the teens, and really a little bit of that background and what created the maneuvering and what the maneuvering actually caused. It caused Ford to own 100% of the company, but it also probably created Dodge and, in the long run, Plymouth and Chrysler and things like that down the road. Yeah, and I mean, I, I'll completely agree with you, John. I mean, the Dodge brothers took that money that they got and they went off and started their own company, no doubt. I mean, that's, I think it's, it, I think I might've even said it on the show before. I think Henry Ford is, is probably, although we know he, he started Ford Motor Company, he's probably credited with starting more automobile companies than most people know because of people who worked for him that went off and started their own or shareholders that went off because they got mad and things like that. So he did do a lot for the auto industry. The, the intent focus that he had was the, the detriment of, to the detriment of Ford Motor Company because his inability to accept change was, was a problem. And that started to show by about 1922, 1923, when Chevrolet sales overtook 
sales of the Model T Ford really have, for automobile sales, have, have never come back. They bounced back and forth for a while, but nothing like the hold Ford had on the auto industry and, and automobile sales prior to 1922-23. It's all because Ford will not change essentially the, the rudimentary design of the Model T. By this time, the Model T is fifth, almost 15 years old. Um, and it's the same basic design that it was in 1909. It's a pretty old car. It's a durable car. It's a rugged car. But the 1922, 23, 24 Chevys that are coming out are much more advanced than this Model T. And sales plummet. Henry attempts to bring them back by doing a few body style changes, little things like this, of course, reintroduces color. Of course, we all know that after the Model T assembly line comes in in 1914, roughly, the Model Ts are all painted black. He reintroduces color to try to get some interest in color. Sales are still plummeting. Really, by 1927, it things are looking bad for Ford Motor Company. It takes Henry's son, Etzel Ford, a lot of hard work to convince his father that they need to make a change. They need to advance the technology of the Ford. They need to advance the technology of the Ford automobile that's coming out. They need to modernize. They need to make it a modern automobile that people are going to want to buy. And it takes a lot for Etzel to convince his father to do this, but he does. And in 1927, they stop production of what Henry Ford thought was the greatest automobile to ever be built. And they shut the plants down for about, I think it's about a total of six, seven months, somewhere in there, to retool, to build what Hen or what Edsel had created, which would be known as the Ford Model A. Uh, a lot of people call the Ford Model A the baby Lincoln because Edsel was running Lincoln at the time after Ford purchased it. And um, he basically, you know, took and, and made a baby version of, of the Lincoln. But it is a, a spectacular car um, as a, a affordable car for the masses. But in that six to seven months, Ford Motor Company was in such bad conditions financially that other automobile companies actually came in and attempted to buy Ford Motor Company away from the Ford family. And Etzel held strong, told them no, and held them off. And uh, they reintroduced the Ford Model A, or they come out with the Ford Model A in, in 1928, finally have a car that people are starting to buy again, sales start picking up, and Ford Motor Company is able to move on from there. So I think in this case, thinking back to Dan's article, this is, this is a, a time where I think we could say that Ford Motor Company almost didn't survive with Henry Ford at the helm, but rather it had to survive with his son, Etzel, at the helm, taking control, proving to his father that something needed to change. In this case, you know, I think it's the exact opposite, where Henry Ford almost collapsed the company. Now, now that we're to the Model A, it's kind of the point where we can reflect. I mean, we can really get into 
Ford, the man at that point, you know, after the Model A's created, Fordlandia's created, you know, he did affect minimum wage and the 40-hour work week and all these other little things. But I think at this point, you know, Derek's done an extremely good job of explaining Ford the man from basically, we'll say, 1899 to 1928-29-ish. When you think about it, and we go back to the original question here, would Ford the automaker have survived without Ford the man? I'm going to say that probably it wouldn't have. I don't think the automotive industry definitely would be where it's at without Ford the man. He was very influential on, a, as we've said, every aspect of the early automobile from his company to every other automo- uh, at least American automotive company, and he could not have done it alone. Ford, he obviously required a lot of help. He required, you know, he was a very stubborn, brilliant man, my way or the highway kind of guy, and there had to be equally as strong people working with him and at times against him to get him to do what needed to be done to continue Ford. So would a Ford survived without Ford? I don't think so. But would a Ford survived without assistance? No, it wouldn't have. It, it really, I think, it was a partnership. Ford was very, restating what I just said, he was very key to the early automobile. The early And the early automobile needs to thank him. And the industry today still thanks him. But he could definitely not have done it alone. He had a he made mistakes, and it took, as Derek said, with Etzel his son. I'm sure those were not pleasant dinner conversations. And when you're telling your your father that the thing he engineered and made him super wealthy and one of the most powerful, respected people in the country, and if not the world, is old and obsolete and needs to be replaced. I mean, I have a hard enough time throwing away shirts that are five years old or 10 years old or 20 years old. And here you are asking him to do it with his life's work in order to keep the company going. Just that. And then again, the Dodge Brothers forcing him to do certain things and the er early investors in the company. I like to restate myself four or five times for some reason. Would the automaker have survived? No. Would the auto industry have survived? Yeah, but I don't think it would have been at the place. I don't know if it would be at the place it is today without all of his early efforts. You know, we would still have cars, etc. But I think this was a you know really good article for Hemmings to publish and for you know Mr. Stroll to have written. Do you d- agree, disagree, or how do you uh, want to conclude that, Derek? Or did I cut you off and you had five more minutes to go before I was supposed to wrap it up? Five minutes? I had three hours? No. It's 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 an interesting question. I mean, I, and that's why I kind of wanted to take it in those stages that, that I, I took it in because I think it really depends on more of the question would be at what point if Henry left the company, would it have survived or not? Because I think that plays a big factor in it. Had he left early on, 
Probably not, because they wouldn't have had the drive and the ambition to fight the fights they fought to get where, where the company was by the time the Model T was produced. Had he left after they got the Model T going, or had something happened after the Model T got going, I think the company would have survived just fine. But I think you're right, John. I, I mean, I think you know, he, he was so instrumental in so many things that I don't think we would be necessarily where we are today or would we have gotten to this point as quickly as we did with some of the, the breakthroughs that occurred without Henry involved in the automobile industry in some way. Would it have survived a, as an entirety? Yes. But would it be the same? Definitely not. So I think in, in that fashion, you're definitely right. And, and you know, for me, it, it, it more comes down to would the company have survived? Would, would Ford Motor Company have survived without Henry Ford, the man? I have to say that it, it depends on the time in which Henry would have left the company for whatever reason it would have been. It, it really, that is the pivotal question, I think, because I think had he left early on, I'm going to repeat myself again, because that's what we like to do. I think we would not see Ford Motor Company today, but had he left later on in Model T production, I think we would be still see a company known as Ford Motor Company. Your summary was a lot shorter than my summary, but then again, you didn't say everything three times. I only went twice, yeah. I hope that episode, while not over-the-top entertaining and humorous as, you know, in a Jimmy Fallon, Johnny Carson kind of way, I think it was very integral into educating on the Ford Motor Company and the early days of the automobile. And that's part of what, again... I like to say No Driving Gloves is about. Let us know what your feedback is if you like this educational, really in-depth discussion. And provide some topics. Ask us some questions. I mean, like I said, this article from Hemmings, it went on and it talked a lot about, a, really, nothing we covered was really covered in this other than maybe the early days of Cadillac. But it was just the one question. Reach out to us on uh, social media, Facebook or Instagram, No Driving Gloves, or send us an email at nodrivinggloves at gmail.com and ask us a few questions, and we'll look at it. We'll research it. You know, we can discuss some of this stuff and help educate and explain. But we hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll be back. At least Derek and I should be back next week. I think Will's actually going to be in Vegas partying, and I don't know if we'll be able to get him to call in. Seem as a pretty busy place but we're going to try we'll try to get will at least for a minute or two and if not we'll talk to you guys in a week i'm out of here see you later